Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Grace and peace to you, whatever you have walked in this week, I would like to say to you, grace and peace. My name's Tim. If you're newer with us, I get the opportunity to serve here, to teach on a regular basis as part of what I get to do. And we, as Christian said, we're continuing this study, this letter written from a man named Paul from prison to this Jesus community in a Roman colony named Philippi. 2,000 years ago. And we're going we're gonna to keep, we're picking up where we left off last week. But today to start, we're going to start our teaching on Philippians in the book of Exodus. Because it's fun. And, uh, and it makes sense, of course. So if you want to follow, I'd like to invite you to Exodus 4, verse 22. Uh, and the words will also be on the screen above. And then we'll get to Philippians. But what's happening here is... Um, God is speaking to Moses, and he's talking to Moses, and he's given, Moses is, is going to be the leader of the Israelite people as, as God leads them out of slavery in Egypt um, to freedom. And, and God's giving Moses instructions. He's telling Moses what to say to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And God says to Moses, says, okay, I want you to go and say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that, no, not, well, it's not exactly what, uh, so we're going to look at what we're going to look at what God says uh, to Moses here. Exodus four twenty two. Then say to Pharaoh, this is God's talking to Moses. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says: Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. First time in the scriptures that anyone or anything is referred to as the son of God, the firstborn son of God. The first time we hear anyone or anything called the firstborn son of God, it's not talking about Jesus. That that stuff comes later. The first time is it's talking about Israel. Israel is the firstborn son of God. Now what, what's going on here? Why, why is God referring to Israel as his firstborn son? In ancient Near Eastern culture, this, of course, this comes out of a cultural context. And in that context, uh, a firstborn son had particular responsibilities in a family. And so in the ancient Near East, the firstborn son, if the father passed away, the firstborn son would get a double inheritance. And the firstborn son, in a lot of ways, would take on the responsibilities of the father. The firstborn son was meant to represent the father to, to act in the world like the father, to carry out the will of the father, to reflect the character of the father. The firstborn son had these responsibilities. The firstborn son was meant to look like his father. And that was, and so you ask a firstborn son, like, what do you, what, what kind of person do you want to be? They wouldn't say, oh, I want to follow my heart. They would say, I want to be like my father. That's the cultural context that was, was written in. And so when, when God is speaking of Israel as his firstborn son, he's saying, the, the, is, this people group, part of their role in this world is to reflect the will, the heart, and the character of God, their father. How many in here have ever been said, uh, you remind me so much of your dad, or you remind me so much of your mom? Who's, who's been told something like this? Or you look like your dad, or you look like your mom? Yeah. 
Now, I'm not going to ask the follow-up who likes being told that. Because I don't know who you're sitting next to. So I'll just let you talk about that at lunchtime today. Yeah, have fun with that. Yeah, but, um, but this, is the, the, this is the vocation of Israel, the calling of Israel. And what, and what we see as we go through the Hebrew Scripture, the story of Israel, what we find is the reality becomes that this, this people group, Israel, in a whole number of ways, fail to reflect God's heart, God's character into the world. And so by the time we get to the story of Jesus, and Jesus is referred to as the Son of God, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. But at least one of the things happening when Jesus is called the Son of God, one of the things is that the the, the task of Israel to reflect the character of, of, of the Father to the world, that task is now narrowed down to a point and it rests all on this one Jesus' shoulders. He is the true Son who will truly reflect the character of the Father to the world. And so when we read the story of Jesus, I want to say it this way, that God looks like Jesus. He is the true Son that fully reflects the character of His Father. God looks like Jesus. And so if I get confusing today, if I ramble, if you're... what's I'm trying to say one thing today. And this is the one thing. You can write this down. God looks like Jesus. Everything else we're talking about is going to point back to this one reality. God looks like Jesus. But I would like you not just to take my word for it. I want to look at and show how this flows out of Scripture. And so we're going to, now we're going to get to Philippians. Philippians 2, and this is where we're going to stay for the rest of the morning. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles, Philippians is way to the right uh, in the New Testament. It goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And the words will also be on the screen above. And uh, so what I'm going to do, I want to read through this kind of chunk of Scripture that we're going to talk about today and then make some comments on it. But uh, this is a very powerful uh, section of Scripture this morning, a section of this letter from Paul. And so in, in Paul's day and in Jesus' day, in, when Scripture was read in the synagogue... People would stand to honor Scripture, and then they'd actually sit down for teaching on it. And so this, I would like to honor this section of Scripture today. Would you stand with me as I read it? We're going to stand together. I'm going to read through it, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll be seated and we'll talk through it. So Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may be seated. So 
Last week, Christian talked about the section uh, immediately preceding what we just read. And what Christian pointed out is that that this section right before what we just read, Paul is giving instructions to the community of Jesus followers in Philippi on how to live together. And the, the main idea was to live and to act in humility, unity, and love. Humility, unity, and love. And then in verse 5 here, Paul, Paul is this transition verse where he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what he's saying is, is that Jesus, Jesus walked in the way of humility, unity, and love. And now he's saying, Jesus walked in the way of humility, unity, and love. And then he says, let me show you from his life how he exemplified this. Let me show you how this worked out in Jesus' life. And that is what we're going to focus on today. So he says, have the mindset of Jesus. And it begins this way, verse 6. And here we go. We have 6 through 8 up here. He says, Jesus, verse 6, who being in the very nature God. And so the main idea that, that controls this whole first chunk of what we read is that Jesus understood himself to be fully God. To, he, Jesus understood that he was the son that fully reflected the heart and character of the father. He was fully equal with God. And he understood, who being in very nature God, that being equal with God meant, it meant that he does not use this equality with God, this equalness with God, for his own advantage. But rather, uses his equality with God, his being in very nature God, to make himself nothing. That verse 7 says, Rather, he made himself nothing. You could translate that. He, he poured himself out. He emptied himself on behalf of others. So th- this, this section here, this, this 6 through 8, there's a way that I think we can, we can read it. At least I've read it wrongly in the past. I've misinterpreted it in the past. And I think the wrong way to read that is something like this. Would be to think, okay, Jesus understood himself to be uh, fully God. He understood himself to be uh, fully reflecting the character of God. So he decided that instead of being like God, he would be humble. That instead of being like God, he would serve others. That instead of being like God, he would suffer humiliation and pain. That That is absolutely the wrong way to read this. That's almost the opposite of what Paul, what is being said here. What's being said here is, is, is rather this. It's Jesus understood himself to be fully God, being in very nature God, the son who fully reflects the, the heart of the father. And he understood that to fully reflect the heart of the father meant you, if you fully reflect the heart of the father, you of course don't use that for yourself. Don't use it for your own privilege, your own pleasure, your own status, elevating yourself. But instead, fully reflecting the character of the Father means precisely these things. To pour oneself out for others. It means precisely to lower oneself for the sake of others. Reflecting the character of God means precisely serving others. It means precisely suffering, even humiliation and pain for the sake of of others. This whole thing, 6 through 8, is one sentence in the Greek, and it's, it's addressing this question. What does it mean to be equal with God? What does it mean to... Ref- what does God look like? And the answer is, it doesn't look like using it for one's own advantage. It looks like 
humble, servant-hearted, sacrificial love. This is what the character of the Father is. God looks like Jesus. Now imagine. Imagine you lived 2,000 years ago in Philippi. And imagine that you're part of this, this Jesus community, this small house church in Philippi. And imagine that you're a former Roman soldier. You served in the Caesar's armies and then you retired. And as, as, you were, uh, as you honorably retired from the army, you got your Roman citizenship. And this gave you status, honor in Philippi. When, when you walked through Philippi, people knew you were a citizen. And they, and they, uh, they waved it. They, you, people knew your name. They looked up to you. And as a man in Roman society, um, as a man in Roman society, you had certain rights and privileges. Maybe, maybe you had a wife and kids. And in Roman society, that meant you got to tell them what to do. And in Roman society, being a citizen and, and being a retired soldier, you were given land and you had wealth. You had the power that came with wealth. You may have had several slaves who lived in your home and they did your bidding. And imagine you as this Roman citizen, you recently have declared allegiance to Jesus. And you're at this house church gathering on a Sunday night. And you're hearing that God looks like Jesus. That Jesus, having access to all status and power and privilege imaginable, that he poured himself out for the sake of others. He lowered himself to serve others. He suffered loss of pride, humiliation for the sake of others. I think... I think you would ask some questions about what does this mean for my status and my power and my privilege and how I use those things and how I relate to others with those things. Because if God is like that and I follow this God, what does that mean for my life? And I think that same question echoes through the centuries to us today. And we ask ourselves, what is, our, what is your Roman citizenship? What is your Roman citizenship where, where you, have this, uh, you have this place of, of power or influence, this, this, this status? Maybe you're captain on the team or you're project manager or you're a business owner or you're, just so, you're so talented at this thing and people look up to you. It's just a gift or your parent. What are those places that you have influence or power and you could use it for your own advantage what is what is your roman citizenship i think this this image god looks like jesus would have significant implications for the jesus community how they related to one another our passage doesn't end here It continues on in verse 9. We read the following. Therefore, because of all this, because Jesus did these things, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. All right, I just want to pause there for a second. Uh, The name above every name. Paul, a faithful Jew in the first century, what would he have considered the name above every name? The name of God. 
Yahweh. In the Hebrew scriptures, uh, the, the kind of the proper name of God was Yahweh. You might translate it like I am or I am who I am. Anytime in your English Bible you see all caps L-O-R-D, Lord, behind that stands the Hebrew Yahweh. And in, in Paul and in Jesus' day, this name was considered so holy that faithful Jews wouldn't even say it out loud. They would say, they'd, they'd insert something else like the Lord or, or the name. They wouldn't even say it out loud. It was the original uh, he who shall not be named. But it was for good reason, not not bad. But uh, but he but it was so this this and but what Paul says is that Jesus is given the name above every name, Yahweh, the name of God. God looks like Jesus, and just to drive the point home, in the next part in verse ten, he says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul here is quoting from Isaiah forty five. And this same, this same idea is applied to Yahweh, the Lord. Every, every tongue shall acknowledge, every knee shall bow to Yahweh. And Paul takes Yahweh out and sticks the name of Jesus in there just to make it clear. God looks like Jesus. Jesus is God. Now, like the first part, like 6 through 8, I think this 9 through 11 can also, there's a right way to read it and a wrong way to read it. Can we go back to uh, 9 through 11 there? And, and I think the, 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 the wrong way to read it is something like this. <clears throat> to read that, that God exalted Jesus. God gave him his name. In, the, the wrong way to be th- would be to think of it as something like this. That God says to Jesus, Oh, Jesus, I can't believe you went through that. You really slummed it with those humans. Like, come on back to the palace. Let's get you in the comfy chair. Somebody bring him some grapes. Like, we're going to... Kind of, that was a really strange, ungodlike thing you did. So you're going to get your reward. Like, like, sorry you had to go through that. Let me make it up to you. Like, here's your reward. Let's pay you back. That is not what is being said here. What is being said here is something like this. The father looks at Jesus, his son. And, and he looks at his, his, his pouring himself out for others, his humble, servant-like nature, his suffering for the sake of others. And he says, the father says, yes, yes, yes. That's exactly what I look like. That is my heart. You, Jesus just put my heart on display for the world to see. Put my name on him. Raise him up so everyone can see I want you to know this is what I look like. God looks like Jesus. And maybe maybe you hear that and and you think, yeah, but it's still, isn't it still kind of like, it's all about me, Jesus, you know, point at me, kind of this self-centered. No, like even in in how this plays out, it's still this honoring of the other. Because follow me here. In the first half... In verses six through eight, or six through eight, which is one sentence, who is the subject of the first? Who's doing all the acting? Jesus, right? Jesus recognized he was equal to God. Jesus poured himself out. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus was obedient. He's doing that. In the second half, nine through eleven, it's not Jesus saying, "Now everybody, look at me, honor me. I'm at the center of things." It's actually it's the Father God honoring. The son, it's still this honoring of the other. Father God is saying, no, 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 don't look at me, don't look at me. Look at my son, look at my son. Look how he put the, just this wonderful love on display. 
I mean, even in Christians talk about the God is, God is triune, God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Even in the life, the inner life of the triune God is this other-centered love that the Father God says, it's not about me, look at my son, let me raise my son up. The son says, no, don't look at me, look at my father, look at the great heart of my father. The Spirit says, look at the love between them, that even in the life of the triune God is this looking to, honoring, and loving the other above oneself. God looks like Jesus. Jesus puts the character of God on display. Imagine again, you're in this this first century uh, Jesus community in Philippi, and, and you've gathered. It's a Sunday evening. You've shared a meal. You're in someone's home. There's a few dozen of you, and, and you're hearing this letter from your leader, Paul, read. And this time, imagine that instead of a male Roman citizen, imagine you're, you're a slave. Something like a third of the population were in slavery in the Roman Empire. Perhaps a female slave. Your owner, your master, has said, yeah, you can participate in this fringe religious movement. And you're at this meeting, and you're hearing what God is like. It says, Jesus, being in very nature God, took on the nature of a servant. In Greek, the word is doulos, and it could be translated slave. That the God of the universe, he actually became like you. He throws his lot in with you. The God of the universe actually chooses to serve you. I think if you were, if you were a slave and you were hearing this read, that you, would, the, the, the God, that you would hear that, like, lift up your head. I see you. I mean, your whole life up to this point, if you were a slave, you had been told the message. Uh, you had been told what, what Aristotle taught. That slaves are human property. They're, human, they're merely human tools. Nothing but human tools. Born. They're born and this is where they're supposed to live their lives. And for, for slaves and, and, and for women, they, they live these, these unseen, forgotten, hidden lives, these unvalued lives. And then you read about the God of the universe throwing his lot in on your side. The God of the universe coming to serve you. Your king serves you. Your king is shamed for you. And your human masters and kings will have to answer to him. this would have implications for how you saw yourself, how others in the Jesus community saw you and related to you. Maybe this morning a question we could ask would be, where are you unseen? These slaves, they were unseen, they were unvalued. Where are you unseen? What parts of your life are forgotten, are not valued by the world? are hidden. Where might God be wanting to say to you this morning, I see you. I'm with you. I am the king who has come to serve you. Where are you unseen? I'd like to end this way this morning. 
this passage. It's, it's, so, uh, it's so powerful. And because of that, I think we'd like, to spend, we'd like to take another week on this and spend next Sunday talking about this again. Is that okay? I won't say the exact same things next week. It's not just going to be like replay. Well, this sounds familiar. This. No, but I'd like that there's so much here to explore. This is one of these powerful passages about who Jesus was. I'd like to take another week on it. But this week, as, as, we're, as we're sitting and marinating in this section of Scripture, um, I want to I challenge myself and invite you, if you want, to join me in this. On your seats, there, did, did you have a, a yellow cardstock of this passage on your seat or a seat near you? So, you know, the, the whole idea, this whole thing is Paul saying, have the same mindset as Jesus, right? That you think this way, have the same mindset, the heart set. One way to do that, one helpful way, is that we internalize this. That we tattoo it on our minds. That in the, in the, in the hallways of our minds, that this is the artwork hanging on the wall. That we memorize it. We memorize it. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize this, and I would invite you to memorize it with me. And look, some of you can quote longer scenes from Napoleon Dynamite than what is on this card, all right? I know you. You're funny. You make me laugh. But we can, we can memorize this. This is doable. They're, they're, kind of with your, your family after dinner, you'd read through it. You'd memorize it with your small group, your cord, that you'd memorize it. Yeah, we're going to. And you take, so I encourage you, take this, put it somewhere you see it. Don't, because don't just stick it in your Bible. And then in 2019, it falls out. And you're like, well, where did that come from? Yeah, put it, you know, put it somewhere you see it. Read it. Memorize it and turn, this, this is going to be our mindset. We need it in our minds. And one way to do that is, remember, there's this not, if you memorize, it doesn't mean God likes you more, God loves you more, but it is one helpful way of helping it be our mindset. So I want to end with this thought for us. That, you know, I recognize that we come from different places. Some of us walk in here and we say, I, I do, I want to be with, like Jesus. And some of us come in here with questions, like, I don't even know what I think about God and Maybe one way to say this idea that I've been talking about today is wherever you come in terms of faith, every single person believes something about ultimate reality. And even if, you, even if you'd say, I don't believe in God, you believe something about ultimate reality. That ultimately, at the foundation of things, maybe you would say it is impersonal, chaotic, random matter and energy. I believe Paul is making a statement about ultimate reality. He's saying, no, at the foundation, the center of reality, ultimate reality looks like Jesus. Humble, servant-hearted, sacrificial love. Maybe you've come in here today and, and you've been given untruths about God over the years. That, that God is narcissistic. God is controlling. God is egomaniacal. God... God and maybe today, you could hear the living God say to you, no, God, I, I, I look like Jesus. God looks like Jesus. My heart is humble, pouring out for others, servant-hearted, sacrificial love. God looks like Jesus. May we be a community. May we, may we live in this. May we relate to one another through this. May we have this in us. May it, shape, may it shape our lives. Let's pray.
Jesus, you are the good news. You are the good news. And you, you give us the best thing you could ever give us. And that is your very self. You offer us yourself. And you show us the heart of the Father. Uh, you reveal to us in your life, your teachings, your death, your resurrection... Uh, your heart, the triune, the, the heart of God towards us. And, and Lord, I pray for us this morning. And um, we, are, we are on different journeys and we've had different kinds of weeks and we're asking different kinds of questions. But Jesus, I believe that you, by your spirit, desire to speak to each one of us here. And maybe we won't have all our questions answered, but would you speak to us, even in these, these coming moments, about who you are, who you are to us personally. By your spirit, would you do this? Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.